Hey, welcome to the Resolve Podcast, episode number 65. I'm Carly Tisano, a New Year's resolution coach obsessed with all things goal setting, personal development, coaching, and of course, resolutions. One of my biggest goals is to help you reach yours. I'm here to provide the tools, support, and inspiration you need to reach your goals this year and every year and to feel supported every day along the way. So once again, I hinted that my friend Heidi would be back on the podcast very soon. And once again, you probably didn't expect it to be quite this soon, but I am so excited to welcome Heidi back onto the podcast today. And for the first time, I'm going to be handing the reins of the podcast over to someone else. I'm going to be giving them to Heidi as we dive into a couple topics that are very near and dear to my heart. And we're breaking the pattern too of the podcast a little bit here instead of going interview solo show and repeating that process forever. Because originally I was planning to do this episode as a solo show, but then as I thought about it, I realized I don't want to talk about this topic alone. I wanted to have Heidi come on to talk about it with me and to really guide our discussion of this topic. So Heidi, welcome back to the podcast and thank you for taking over a bit today. Absolutely. Thank you, Carly. I have been looking forward to this episode since you told me you wanted to do it a few months ago. And I really enjoyed being one of your early readers for your sustainability book back in the spring. And I've just been looking forward to chatting with you about it more. I know. So without further ado, today we are finally going to be talking about my book, the book that I wrote, which I've been talking about on the podcast I think the earliest time I mentioned it was like episode two. So clearly we're now episode 65, a very long time. It has come up frequently. I don't know that I've ever dove into really what it was about. I haven't talked too much about the writing process and what that was like, or even my passion for the topic and how it inherently in and of itself relates back to resolutions and words of the year and goals and all of that. So Heidi, I will give this discussion over to you and let's talk about any and everything. (laughs) Sweet. Let's talk about the writing process first then. Mm. I was thinking back to when you first got the idea for the book. I think it was like 2019. Yeah. You were telling me about it. Okay. And I remember you updating me about the writing process, mentioning that you were writing it as we were texting from across the county in 2020, stuck in our houses. (laughs) But remind me what the process looked like for you when you had the idea, when you were thinking about setting it as a goal, how you set it, and just generally what the writing process was like. So... Actually, in chapter one, or maybe even the introduction, I talk about one of my very first days that I put words on the page, and then I saw you later that day, and I was telling you all about it. So you really have been privy even to that, and then even before. So as I talk about in the book, in reading another book, How to Give Up Plastic by Will McCallum, I was really struck by some of the topics depicted in that book, and just really the idea presented as a whole. And sustainability, which is what my book centers around, isn't something that I really ever gave much thought to. And particularly within how that topic has been largely politicized, it was something that I just pushed to the back of my mind and was like, I do not want to engage with that topic very much or discussions about it or thinking about it. I'm just going to live my life and pretty much let other people worry about it. But that book really brought to the forefront the realization for me, that's not something I could do or wanted to do or was willing to do anymore. And so that was September, 2019. And I quickly came to the determination that, okay, I want to focus on sustainability in 2020. So that was my word of the year. I shared that with a few people. You even for Christmas in 2019, you gave me this little keychain that I still have on my keys that says sustainability on it because you knew that was going to be my word of the year. And other than fun, which is my word for next year, those are the earliest words I've ever had picked out in advance. And also in 2019, to give even more context to the resolutions and all of that, you and I were taking a course with Gretchen Rubin called the Happiness Project Experience. And so it broke 
down each month with a different topic. And there were videos focused on that. And then we set goals each month focused on the topic of that month, family or friends or money or work or whatever it was for that given month. And so it didn't take too long into thinking about sustainability. And actually once the year started that I was like, that is an approach I need to take. I want to focus on a different aspect of sustainability each month instead of approaching it in a more haphazard fashion, which I'll admit I did anyway. I didn't stick strictly to the month by month focus as we did more in that other year focused on happiness and other topics. But it was just a couple weeks into January, 2020, when I was scrolling through the explore page on my Instagram, which I didn't even really know existed. And I came across this post on greenwashing. And that was like my second lightning bolt moment of this is happening. People are talking about it, but so many people don't have the information they need to make informed decisions or to make changes. And if I was going to be going through all of this growth and figuring stuff out on my own, which I was already beginning to realize was like so much bigger than me. I was diving into these books that were incredibly boring, but so important and relevant to the topic. And I was looking for someone in the position that I was, someone who was like, I am not living a sustainable life, or it's not even something I've really thought about. How do I do that in a way that's practical, but is still focused on making a difference, but making a difference in like an actual tangible way and not a way where I'm just like ceding all my power to the greedy corporate organizations of the world that are ruining it and driving it into the ground. So I searched high and low for that book, could not find one. And all of those moments came together, had another lightning bolt and was like, okay, I guess I'm the person who has to write that book. So in January, I had that idea. I was like, okay, I will live this year and collect my ideas and thoughts and experiences. And in the future, I will write a book about all of this. Of course, not how my brain works. So I was like, I'll just create a Word document and I will begin to put my ideas in there and I will come up with the different chapter titles. So then I did that. And then I had an idea for this one particular section, which is what I was telling you about that day at Starbucks. And so I wrote 500 words and I remember being so shocked at 500 words and that they were suddenly on a page making up part of this book. And then I was like, I should research how many words actually go into a nonfiction book. And so I did. And some estimate on Google says something like 50,000 words. And I was like, okay, 50,000 words. If we said there's 52 weeks in a year, I would only have to write a thousand words a week to hit that goal this year. And so I was thinking about that, writing a little bit more, not a whole lot. And then of course the pandemic hit. And I will give the caveat, my book is not really written with the pandemic in mind. It's not something that I chose to address in the midst of a world that experienced the pandemic and is now moving through that and reintegrating what we learned about that into our regular life. It doesn't feel highly necessary to me to really integrate that into what I talked about in the book. So that's not something I dove too much into, but I did have all of this time in my hands now where I wasn't going out and doing stuff that I had been before. And that time I decided I was going to use at least part of it to write the book. So I decided, okay, with the weeks that are left in the year, I want to write on Saturdays and Sundays, I want to write a thousand words a day. And that would have gotten me pretty close to my 50,000 words by the end of the year. And I made in my bullet journal, this chart with 50 boxes. And then I could scratch one out every time. I wrote another thousand words. Once again, I know how my brain works and it is not limiting that to Saturdays and Sundays. So before I knew it, I was writing six days a week, probably a thousand words. And so by May 27th, 2020, I had hit 50,000 words. And that was one of those moments to me where I was like, anything is possible, apparently, that in like less than two months, I could turn this around to have that many words written. And I just kept writing. So by the end of 2020, I had, I think, 108,000 words written. 
which blew my mind that the book would like spiral and grow to be that much larger, that I would have that much to say. As someone who has like that fear always in the back of my mind that I will run out of things to say, (laughs) that was shocking to me. And so then in 2021, last year, I talked about a little bit on the podcast, my goal was to edit that monstrosity, fill in some of the gaps because it wasn't 100% comprehensive by the time I got to the end of 2020. And then this year, my goal was to get it out to Heidi and some other friends and family members to read it. And I worked on cover design and interior design and all of that, getting ISBN numbers. And now here we are ready to release the book to the public. And that's pretty exciting. So exciting. I am so excited. It's been fun watching you go through the whole process, but I didn't know all of those details. I remember Mm. you finished it early, but I did not remember you finished it in May. That's insane. You finished it so early. I had been trying to remember if it was one of your resolutions Mm. that you set at the beginning of the year, but it sounds like it wasn't. Was it a resolution that you set or was it one that you just jumped into? It was one I jumped into because I didn't have the idea to turn it into a book until mid-January. And I remember like where I was standing when I had the idea and how it just, it was seriously a lightning bolt moment. And the rest of the day, I could think of nothing else. Actually, it's so funny. One of my, I think it was actually my very first podcast interview I ever did was a couple weeks before that, the very beginning of the year. And I had talked about how I had considered for 2020 setting a goal to decide on what I want to try to book about, because I've been someone who has always wanted to write a book, be a published author, all of that. And I had intentionally decided 2020 is not the year I come up with a book idea or much less write a book. It's ironic. Sometimes those doors open when you didn't expect them to. Like last year, I certainly wouldn't have said that going to grad school would be something I would even be thinking about doing, much less be graduating a year later. So you never know what the adventure of the year may be. But I was able to add that onto my 20 for 2020 list, which I have blogged about. I honestly could not tell you what else was on it, but it was something else that I managed to get done in addition to most of those things. And it is what really solidified the year for me, because otherwise I don't think my journey with sustainability would have stood out nearly as much as it did. It sounded like you were really excited and enjoying the writing process. Did you ever feel like overwhelmed with what everything that was going on or discouraged with meeting that entire word count all the time? Yeah. I mean, there were times the writing process was overwhelming, even like this year, figuring out all the steps to get a book published, what you do first, and then how that relates to something else. It's intimidating. It reminds me a lot of starting a business. Like you pick the name and then you go to get the website, but then you also needed a logo already. So you have to go figure that out. But then you also have to have an email address that can go with your new logo on your business card. So you have to figure out how to get that while setting up your website. It's a ton of moving pieces and you go as far as you can. And then you realize like you needed something 10 steps back. So you run back and grab it. And that's just part of what it is to build a business and apparently to write a book and to figure all of that out. But since it was totally self-imposed, it wasn't as much of an intense pressure. Like the pressure was all internal. I could say I don't have to write a thousand words today. There's no one who's going to be upset if I don't other than me. But I think also partially because I was so blessed with what 2020 turned out to be in the time that I did have, I was able to prioritize it in a way that I wouldn't have been able to in any other year while still acting in line with my values. I wasn't having to sacrifice because of the book doing other things that mattered to me. That makes sense. So having that extra time during COVID is really what enabled you to be able to meet that goal that year. Yeah. I don't know that it would have risen to the forefront to that point of, I am going to write the book this year without that catalyst to really incubate the idea and make it happen all together at the same time as I was living it. I'm glad that it did though, because Mm -hmm. it would have been a very different book if it's something that I had written much more in retrospect. So yeah, I'm very fortunate that 
everything came together in that year. I think I probably would have written the book anyway, if it weren't for COVID, it just would have happened in a very different manner. And it still took a lot of discipline to show up every day and be getting that writing done, showing up at least weekly. And you mentioned like, it felt a lot like starting a business. So you've already been through this weird, like giant project, having to figure out all the steps kind of process before. So what is like the mindset that Mm. you has gotten you through this process and like any habit tips that helped you reach your goal? Good question. I think a key element of the mindset is not expecting yourself to know the stuff you don't know. And that's true in starting business, in writing book. And even as I was delving into the world of sustainability, there is a lot I didn't know. And so there's no use in beating myself up over the fact that I didn't know that I needed to get the logo before I tried to get a website. I wouldn't know that. I haven't tried to start a business before. I hadn't before I did before the first time. And so it's okay to be in that interim space, that learning space, and being willing to just take it one step at a time to look to outside resources and people who've done it before for advice and insight and direction. I can't tell you how many times I Googled like step-by-step how to set up a business and Never found any resources that were that helpful, but I was willing to look for them. And I was able to get support in creating a website, in making a logo, in all of those things, because there are specific supports for those things. The same goes for writing a book. We've had people on the podcast to talk about that before. So there are coaches you can work with. I had you and several other friends that I talked to and bounced ideas off of. One of my favorite things is as my word count increased, I would text people the picture of the word count thing on my screen to be like, I can't believe it. I'm at 18,000 words. Whoever thought that would happen? And apparently like it's going to get much bigger than that. But celebrating each of those wins every single day, especially at the beginning when I was writing every single day was so crucial to keeping my momentum going. And I think the final thing is aligning it with your values because sustainability very quickly became a core value to me. And initially I was approaching the year from the perspective of finding sustainability in every area of my life. What are the habits I can have that are sustainable forever? What does it look like to have sustainable friendships that flourish and nurture your life as opposed to draining energy and effort out of you? Does it look like to eat sustainably, not just for the planet, but also for myself? What kinds of systems can I set up to create that? And as soon as I wrote the book, I shifted more away from that focus, but it's still something I thought about over the course of the year. And ultimately it all came back to my values and how important the topic was to me and how passionate I was about getting this resource, this book and this information into the hands of other people who like me, maybe realize the topic is important or maybe they're not even convinced of that yet, but they are willing to be. And then as I have seen through some of the people already who have read the book, the way that this information can transform you, the way it has transformed me is so interesting to observe and really powerful to witness. Great answer. And actually, there were definitely moments I wanted to give up or to be like, none of this matters. I'm writing this book for myself. Who cares? Who knows if it's ever going to see the light of day? And Kathleen, who we had on the podcast way back at the beginning in episode six, we called every week, talked, caught up. And so she knew all about the book. She was one of my early readers too. And talking to her about that, she... I still have like in my head so many things she said to me that have really struck me, but the one related to the book, she was able to shift my focus so well because she was like, you're not writing the book for you. You're writing the book for the people who need to know this information. And I think that's true of everything. Like I'm not a coach for myself. I'm a coach for the people that I get to help. And I'm not a friend for myself. Like I'm a friend 
because of the people that I care about, my friends who are in my life. That kind of perspective shift I think is so powerful when we can turn our energy and our attention outward. And then you were so much less caught up in so-and-so didn't respond to my text message today. So I wonder why they're mad at me. And instead you're worried about what's going on in their life. What kind of support do they need? Or I didn't hit my thousand word count goal today. I suck. Instead of being like, how is the maybe 800 words you did get on the page? How is that furthering your message and going to help the people that you're writing for anyway? I feel like that really goes well with your point that you mentioned a little bit earlier about it aligning with your values as a person, mm-hmm. like seeing how it aligns with your values, because then it becomes part of your identity and it right. can start to naturally lived out in your life in these different ways. Mm-hmm. And then the flip side of that is like what you care about as a person and like the outward focus. And I like that you celebrated your wins. I think that we can tend to forget that, especially when it's something that lies very close to our hearts. Like we might be more nervous about it or afraid of what other people might think about it, especially when you start a project so suddenly, something Mm -hmm. as big as a book and suddenly you're writing a book. So I love that you had the courage to do that. And it was so much fun to get your texts and celebrate with you as you hit your word count goals. Your first point, I really took to heart because I feel like whenever I have a big project, I feel like I have to go figure everything out about something before I can start it. Mm -hmm. So that was encouraging to hear how you just started walking down the road and you figured it out as you went along and it all worked out. And the same is true of sustainability too, because I think, not that it's a harder book to write than any other, but I think particularly when it comes to the topic of something like sustainability, there are so many perspectives. There is so much information. There is such a blame game of this is the real problem. Oh no, this is the real problem. Mm -hmm. And even the solutions create problems in their own right. So doing the research for the book and trying to concisely convey the information that I felt other people needed to know without going into another 500 page diatribe of what I had to go through to come to my conclusions was a very difficult process. And it was one more area where I just had to take it one step at a time to be like, okay, this is the conclusion we can draw from this. And it does open us up to this problem over here. But if we also utilize this solution, then we can somewhat ameliorate the problems caused by that. But there is no perfect solution. So take from this what you will. And so it was not the easiest topic to write about. But even in approaching the topic and my research and trying to convey all of that somehow in a way that other people would understand, it was really all about one step at a time and figuring that part out too. Because of how much sustainability gets talked about and all of the important areas of focus, I really felt going into reading your book like there had to be some overarching perfect solution, which was part of that feeling of being overwhelmed when you start reading something about sustainability. It's just that guilt trippy feeling and your life is now going to be completely redefined by all of this and controlled. But as I was reading it, just your honesty about how there's no one size fits all solution. As you're fixing things in this area, it's going to make it difficult to like fix things in this other area. I remember you talking about like recycling and Mm. and, like when you go through the recycling process, there's so much other energy expenditure and waste that goes along the transportation of that. So how did you, I'm just curious for you to talk a little bit more about your discoveries in that area and how that kind of shaped your mindset and how you think that we can make Mm. a difference when it's so complex. Yeah. I in no way want to undermine the complexity of the topic. And I'm sure that there are 
things in my book that don't dive enough into certain perspectives or they don't travel that path far enough of this problem creates this problem, which is answered by this. Like it's endless. And fortunately the research in this area is pretty endless too. And it's an evolving area. So hopefully solutions and answers will evolve in the future that we don't currently have. But with what we do have and what we do know, we can still make a difference, which sounds really trite, particularly in light of so many emissions and waste coming from corporations and celebrities and the top very few percentage points of people who just have much higher carbon output than the rest of us and all of that. But that doesn't mean that the choices that we make for our own lives don't matter because in accepting that or trying to believe that, then we're just shifting the blame to someone else and we're ceding any power that we have to change anything for ourselves or the world or the planet and future generations. So I think it's important to be willing to own your own part in what's going on in the world. Like now, every time I take my trash out, I can't help but think of the fact that this trash is going to go sit in a landfill somewhere for the rest of time or until somehow it manages to break down and in the process is releasing all of these emissions into the atmosphere. And even when I like toss something in the trash can, knowing I'm that much closer to having to take the trash out again, I think about that. Putting something into my shopping cart, being like, is this something that I really need that is going to benefit my life enough to justify the fact that it probably at some point is going to reach the end of its natural life and will have to be disposed of in some way. Or I'll have to figure out a way to reuse it or to recycle it or to repurpose it. And it's very much a continuum. There are the people who are vegan or they keep all of their waste in like a mason jar and everything for the year can fit in there or they live off the grid. And I fully support those people in what they are doing to make a difference for the planet. But my approach in the book is a way that allows, I think, everyone to make a difference in their own way, recognizing the ways that they can without trying to fit everyone into a one-size-fits-all solution. And I really try to give people the information they need to make those decisions for themselves. Like I know growing up, I had siblings, so we needed a car like a Suburban to get all of us around. Is that great for the environment? No. But when you have a family with so many kids, there's not too many other solutions out there that make any other kind of transportation any more practicable. And so that is a concession that we had to make, that this is the kind of car that we have to drive in order to get around as family. And that doesn't mean, though, that we throw in the towel and throw up our hands and say, there is nothing we can do in light of sustainability, then we're just going to give up and throw everything away or whatever. <laughs> so recognizing the ways that you want to make a difference and also the ways that you're not going to. One of the swaps that initially I was very hesitant to make, but that I have since embraced at least to the point where like it just is the way that it is now are things like reusable makeup wipes or a reusable Q-tip. Like those are just things that they're not fun or really <laughs> exciting in any sense of the word, but they are powerful in what they are and in what they represent and in what having them and possessing them means that I don't possess. And so recognizing those are areas I'm willing to change. There are other areas where I'm not going to fully embrace at least some of the options for things. One of my favorites is people who 
recommend like when you turn on the shower, you should put a bucket under the faucet so that the water that comes out of the faucet while the shower is heating up, like you can conserve that and then you can use it to water your plants or something. Or I think there was even one that was like, you can save that and you can reheat it for when you want to take a bath because we don't want to take baths because that's not as good as taking showers. And anyway, there's just so many options. And I was pretty quickly able to be like, yeah, that's not going to happen. <laughs> that does not align with my life or lifestyle or what sustainability is going to look like for me. So taking the information in the book, the data, the numbers, the research, from there, being able to assess the solutions, what is going to fit best into your life, but in the context of sustainability and your values is really then how we can make any decision on the topic. And fortunately, I think my book is a pretty good place to start with at least that first part, getting the numbers and the second part, figuring out what those solutions, and then all you have to do is then determine what am I going to do about it. So even the topic is so big and complex, the solution is really just finding a sustainable approach to sustainability, like one that's going to work with you in your life. Yes. Yes, exactly. I talk in the book about being imperfectly sustainable. There is no such thing as being perfectly sustainable. And I think we even highlighted that a little bit, like our perfectionism nature. And like, we want to write the perfect book and include all of the perfect details and have the perfect habit in place for writing the book. I totally get it. Trust me. I have that perfect perfectionistic nature, but it's important to recognize that perfectionism is pretty much never sustainable in any sense of the word or in any approach. So if we are trying to hold ourselves to that standard of it must be perfect in order for it to matter or in order for us to do it, it's not sustainable for us. And the results are not going to be sustainable for us or the planet either in the long run. So yeah, I think you're absolutely right about that. And definitely something that I try to touch on in the book, because it's not that perfection is what makes it matter. It's the actions in and of themselves that make the difference. And I really appreciated that mindset about it being imperfect sustainability and letting it be what it is, but not letting that stop you from thinking about it and incorporating it into your life. I remember when I picked it up, I was a little trepidatious. I was like, okay, I'm going to read this because I love Carly and it's her project, <laughs> but it, I hadn't read a sustainability book before either. Mm -hmm. And it was for the same types of reasons. It just felt really overwhelming and you know, the perfectionistic nature in me was like, I'm going to have to throw myself into this entirely, feel guilty for the rest of my life. But seeing it through the lens of your book and how you were seeing it with being able to approach it from an imperfect angle, but really still give it your all, started shifting my mindset. As I finished the book, I noticed that I was thinking about everything I threw away. I was recycling something when I could. I was a teacher at the time. So buying things that my kids would definitely use for prizes, not things that they're just going to get thrown away on the other end. Mm -hmm. And it was really neat just seeing all the little ways it started infiltrating my mindset, my decision-making. Yeah. And that's the power, I think, of recognizing the problem. And when you have an understanding of what the problem is, then you begin to identify the ways that we intentionally or unintentionally are contributing to the problem. And then we have to stay in that place. Remember, we're not judging ourselves. We're not using this information to beat ourselves up. We're using it to fuel our action, to move us more in line with our values, because we're recognizing that guilt or that like unaligned sense that we have is telling us there's something a little bit off here. It's that cognitive dissonance, right? Of uh, There's something here that's not quite right. And so that's when we can begin to take and shift our actions to be more in line with our values and what we do want. So guilt isn't a very motivating emotion or compelling, particularly in the long term, but it is a good way of helping us to recognize something is off here. 
I need to make a change. And then we can make that change from our values, from that more positive energy. So we don't want to lean into guilt. And I try not to do that in the book. I certainly don't say anything that I put in there to guilt people intentionally. But when you present the facts, there is always that possibility that some guilt is going to come in, even if that's not quite my intention. But I just hope it's the little warning light on your dashboard saying, there's a problem here. We need to fix it. I felt like your approach was both honest and also lighthearted. Good, Um, good. That was my intention. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely don't take myself too seriously. I think in any context or in the book, I also find myself funny. So I like try to make the book a little bit humorous. I actually remember too, one of the first times I came back to it after any time away, I found this really random line about penguins and ice and being from Antarctica. And I think I texted you a picture to be like, I'm terrified of what it's going to be like when I go back through this book because I have no idea what I'm going to find. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. It was hilarious. Oh, uh, yeah. You will hopefully laugh or maybe just smile when you read through this book, but I intended it to be much less dense and much less intimidating than a lot of the other books that I had to read to get the information to give to you. (laughs) So it's really helpful for a mindset shift and opening your eyes to a new direction and providing hope and some energy in that Mm -hmm. direction. And then also I feel like it's great for a resource because you divided it into all these different chapters with a different focus for each month. Then I know if I'm needing to make better makeup decisions, which I know is on my future list of buying much healthier makeup for me and the planet, then I know I can just turn to the chapter on that. And so as I was reading it, I was like, I'm going to be keeping this on my shelf. This Mm. is so helpful. Thank you. Yeah, I tried to write it so that it does build a little bit on itself. Like the first chapter, January, I really talk about setting the stage and I dive into the history of plastic and what those little numbers in the recycling arrows mean, because a lot of that was stuff I didn't know. And it really, to me, lays the foundation for a lot of the rest of the stuff that I dive into, but it's not necessary to start there. If you need help with makeup, diving into chapter five on makeup and skincare and anything face related is super helpful. If you are more interested in shampoo or more body related stuff, then chapter six would be where you want to start. Or if you're going to be traveling a lot, you want to start in chapter four and travel. Or if you're maybe in the midst of a pandemic, you want to start with chapter 10, being at home. And it's okay to dive in to any of those points that you want to, or to jump around because you're going to find in any place you look, the problems, the solutions, and then hopefully you'll be ignited to make whatever change you decide is right for you in that area. And it is a lot of fun to read through chronologically, of course, Mm -hmm. as we follow your journey through the year. Yeah, absolutely. It was written largely chronologically, but you don't have to solely read it in that format. So while we're talking about that format, be curious to know a little bit more about like why you picked that format Mm, and if you felt like it was a helpful approach for you as you started incorporating all of this stuff throughout the year. Absolutely. So unsurprisingly, my book, which is in full title, The Sustainability Project, My Journey from Toxic and Throwaway to Clean and Green, that title alone probably references in your brain back to The Happiness Project by Gretchen Rubin and also another one of my favorite books, The Wellness Project by Phoebe Lapine. Both of those books I have read and loved. They're like some of my favorites of all time. So pretty much that lightning bolt struck me about, I need to write a book. I instantly knew it was going to be in the format of The Happiness Project or The Wellness Project in that it was going to be like episodically a topic a month with the project, the sustainability project all together. There was really no doubt or question in my mind about any of that. So that format was pretty much pre-selected, I think, in the lightning bolts, inspiration strike moment. It wasn't something that I had to come to. And it was something that I was particularly familiar with 
given those other books and given us, I think, coming off of that year doing the Happiness Project experience and all of that. And I think because the topic of sustainability was so intimidating and I quickly realized if I did approach it in a pretty slipshod fashion, like I was going to miss so much and so many things were going to fall through the gaps that assigning each month a particular topic and then being able to approach it at least somewhat systematically would help me to gain a more comprehensive, well-rounded body of knowledge about the topic and also make sure that I was making the relevant and appropriate changes for me that I wanted to in each area. Since you did approach it systematically, how difficult was it to incorporate all of these habits? Because there's still a lot of stuff going on in each month. I would say that the vast majority of changes, both one-time changes or habit-related changes, were much more instead of kind of action as opposed to an in addition to kind of action. So instead of using throwaway one-time makeup wipes from a plastic pouch, I use reusable cotton rounds that I use and then throw in the washing machine. So the only additional step is just instead of buying the makeup wipes at the store, I wash them. And then when I'm folding laundry, they go back in the bathroom in the little thing where they all go. So it's a more of instead of, and then in the moment I reach for that, which would be in the exact same place that the other things are. And then I use it to wash my face. Mm -hmm. So instead of having to go out and do a bunch of new additional things, like going to the gym for an hour every day. I just have to make these small intentional tweaks in my routine. The same goes for like the way that I grocery shop or the items that I put in my shopping cart, even the particular brands that I choose to order in certain areas. The only in addition to habit that I can really think of has to do with doing that extra level of research, even on an ongoing basis. So if I have to, let's say, buy a certain kind of lotion or shampoo for any reason, putting in the time to make sure that I am not buying from a company that tests on animals or that doesn't value sustainability in any way, shape, or form. Doing that research, even if I'm standing there in the Walmart aisle, making sure that I am acting in that moment in alignment with, with my values is something that I talk about in the book and the pain that it is when you do that and the pain that it is when you do not. But since you're probably going to experience that pain then either way, it is worth taking the time to do that extra bit of research. But I guess all of it really comes back to being value-driven, I think, so that in those moments when you are washing your face or brushing your teeth or reaching for a Q-tip or going clothes shopping or gift shopping for someone else, or you're at the grocery store, you are making the individual choices in that moment, following the exact same pattern of actions, but the tiny choices that you're making in those moments or to set yourself up for success in those moments are based on a different set of values regarding how you care about yourself and your body and the planet and not just convenience or ease or the habits that you've had in the past. That makes sense. Because normally when we approach big life changes they usually are big habit changes right. like the happiness project lots of habit changes like phoebe lupine's book lots of changes to some habits and also like your tastes because it has so much to do with food but for this then you already have all of these habits in place you're just doing some research and upfront decision making and then from then on you're just continuing life as normal we're still gonna need to brush our teeth and wash our faces and do the dishes and do laundry and drive to the store and travel to visit family and so a lot of times i acknowledge like the best way to have a sustainable makeup routine is probably to not have one at all. If you could just stop buying all of those products, great for your wallet, great for your face, great for the planet. But since we're not going to do that, we have to figure out ways to make the actions we're already taking more sustainable. That makes sense. There are some people definitely in the world who completely give up 
like coffee and right. sugar and gold stars to them. But for a right. lot of us, we're going to be continuing to have coffee and sugar in our lives. So yeah. figuring out how to moderate that and make good decisions around that is what living a faithful life looks like. Exactly. So many people now, especially choosing non-dairy milks. And it's so cool because a lot of people are making that choice anyway for their health or their body or the way that they feel when they drink non-dairy milk. And after reading the book, they'll recognize they can also be making that choice in alignment with their sustainability values. And maybe as a result, they will decide to choose a different alternative milk, but they're probably not going to be going back to dairy milk after reading the book. (laughs) Do you have any tips for someone who, after reading your book, is thinking about approaching it full on like you did? Like they want to do a month by month sustainability project overhaul of their life. Do you have any tips for how to approach that and make it successful? Ooh, good question. I would say my book is a great place to start in that you could read it episodically, like a chapter a month, and you could choose to approach it the exact same way. I did the same categories and used my book as a starting point for the research and then dive off from there into other topics that interest you or to dive more into some of the controversies. You could certainly take it 10 steps further if you want to do much more research on brands. Like what exact brand you feel like is most in alignment with your values. Because something that we haven't talked a lot about today, but that I try to touch on in the book is also the human capital aspect of sustainability and how our production of clothing, how that impacts people across the world and not for the better, or how our consumption and production of food, how that contributes to world hunger. Those topics are also related and so important. So it's not just choosing the company that has the nice little reusable canisters. It's also what else is that company doing or that their competitor is maybe doing that really aligns with what you stand for, what you believe in. So that is the kind of work you can do when you dive into this topic. And so you can go as far and deep into any one of these areas as you want to in that manner or in any other. But if you don't want to follow the exact framework of my book, then I would start out, whether it's sustainability or any other topic that you're focusing on, if you want to have a month-by-month focus, first you need to figure out what those months are going to be. It's super helpful to do that at least somewhat in advance or at least like month one, because then you're not going to get to June and be like, oh yeah, I should have started with this other thing or there's this whole other realm or direction I should have gone in or I forgot to add that one. If you can do the planning in advance, you're going to be in a much better position than just going along. And then you can also give yourself some degree of pacing to be like, yes, I know I need to dive into that area, but I'm going to in two months, I will get there. And you can give yourself compassion in that way and you can somewhat limit the inputs that you have coming in. And I will admit, since I was writing the book, I wasn't too great at doing that. I would just dive into anything and everything all at once because I was like, maybe this will inform this that I'm reading about over here. And so I wasn't super great about that, but I think in a systematic approach, you really could dive into it that way. And then to just lean into whatever those changes are that you need to make in this area, but recognize you don't have to make every possible change all at once in that even in these unique areas, you're going to experience some level of growth. Maybe you're going to establish a great grocery shopping routine where you take canisters with you to the grocery store and you refill them, but then maybe you move to a new city and they have some kind of zero waste grocery delivery service. That's pretty cool. And I know that San Francisco has one and several other big cities. So maybe that is going to be an option for you in the future. So the choice you make now doesn't have to take into account the research developments and the product developments and the company developments that are going to happen in the future. You just have to make the choice with what you know that is in line with your values and then act according to that in whatever areas you decide are worthy of your investigation. Good answer. Because ultimately this project is going to be so personal. Like Mm -hmm. it's going to have to do with what your priorities are, what you feel like are your greatest needs and what you can do in your life. So you could even just pick like one area, maybe in each month, if you're feeling like it's a big year, but you want to go ahead and get started, maybe you make 
one makeup decision that's different, or you get one cleaning supply that's different. And I imagine you can really start a domino effect. Like it's easy to pick up one more sustainable cleaning supply when you're out and about or. Absolutely. Especially as you discover like brands that you love, or you connect with other people who are passionate about the same things, or as you do research and just new avenues of exploration open up to you. And I do address in the book, I'm in a very privileged position. I live on my own. It's just me. I can make whatever changes that I want. I don't have kids to account for just me and my cat. And we can make the changes that we want to for our lives on our own. And I have the resources and the time, particularly in 2020 and the opportunity in which to do that. And so I fully recognize the privilege of my position and being able to do, and to even give brain space to this level of growth and development and to orient away from just myself and my own needs to be able to care about other people on the planet. But I believe that regardless of the position that any of us are in, there are things that we can do from that point that allow us to live out our values in this area or in any other. So my experience is just my experience with this topic, but in an area where very few people have shared their perspective, particularly on the entire scope of sustainability, I was just very fortunate to be able to step in and do that. And I hope it will encourage and inspire other people to do the same. I'm sure it will. And I'm so grateful that you wrote it for me and for anyone else who was in a position like us where we are interested in it, but it's just seems really daunting. Yeah. And I can attest that your book is a lot of fun. It's an easy read. It's a very informative read. I remember being very excited about learning about all the little recycling mm-hmm. symbols and that entire system. Cause it's the thing that you see and you wonder about, but it's just, you never look it up. Right. So I remember being excited about that and also the concept of greenwashing. I'm curious mm-hmm. if you share a little bit more about greenwashing. I know you mentioned it earlier. Yeah. So greenwashing is what occurs when brands or companies, they try to position their product as really the green alternative or a green option or an option that's good for the planet, but they really do it only on the surface level. So the branding, the packaging, even the marketing of their items. And it doesn't take into account whether or not the product itself or the practices of the company actually benefit the environment in any way or are better than the alternatives. So there are hypothetically some protections that keep brands and companies from doing that. And hypothetically, I think we all like to believe that we could see past that. But I remember when I knew I was going to focus on sustainability, but before I actually started going to the store and being like, this one has nice packaging. It has a fun tree on the front. So obviously this is the one that I want to pick that's going to help the planet because I care about the planet now. So that's the choice I'm going to make. But of course, was that brand or product any better than any of the alternatives? Probably not. It might even have been worse because the company is clearly trying to like project this image. And that's not to say that all companies with a green image are acting that way, but it's something that we have to be very aware of and that we have to be willing to delve into and dive further than the surface to do our research and our analysis to make sure that we're not putting blinders on so that we can think we're acting in line with our values when in actuality, we're just acting and hoping that our values are like supporting us along that way. That was one of my favorite things that I learned about. And Hmm. now every time I'm shopping, I think I was picking up like new laundry detergent the other day and I was grabbing one off the shelf and I was like, this has more leaves on it. So that must mean it's better. And I heard myself thinking that and I was like, whoa, wait up, went and read the back, took a few more minutes to look at it. And the same goes for like healthy stuff, right? To be like, these kid fruit snacks are healthy. Really? Is that true? (laughs) Or sugary vitamins. You're like- Really? Is that going to help my body that much? 
Yeah. yeah. So taking that time to recognize maybe you wouldn't take the vitamin without it. So maybe it is worthwhile yeah. for you to invest in that vitamin because well, that you. way you will have enough vitamin D in your system. Maybe that's great, but maybe that's not the best option for you. So that's where research and values and information and data and all of those things come together so that we can make informed decisions. Mm-hmm. King decisions and then running with it and having fun with Yes. Yes. The process is supposed to be at least some amount of fun. And I think writing the book enhanced the fun of my project while also adding quite a bit to the stress that went along with it. But leaning into the fun and the community and the connection that can come out of this is only going to fuel your pursuit of it more. So I would highly encourage anyone who wants to do this or to pursue any other idea to lean into those elements as well. So what were some of those fun areas that Mm. you really enjoyed learning about and you leaned into? Oh, that is a good question. One of my favorite things that I enjoyed learning about was the history of plastic and how quickly it came on the scene and how quickly it was embraced and how much it transformed the lives of the people who used it and what it represented to the society and culture at that time that plastic was released and how our societal values allowed us and encouraged us to embrace that at that time and the freedom and the joy of the post-war era and how much that was fueled by this new thing that could reduce the amount of time you had to spend at work and you could just throw it away and it would be gone and you didn't have to like spend hours doing dishes because you could just throw the dishes away. So there's a great advertisement that I talk about from the 50s in Life magazine that I love and they talk about disposable water wings for your kids who are playing in the pool. Just that image of plastic and how it was presented is so powerful to those people who were living in a time when that was so new and coming off of such an era of deprivation and effort. I can imagine leaning into that would have just been such a relief, but recognizing now with what we know and understand about plastic and its impacts and how quickly that spiraled out of control and fueled further consumption it's just fascinating to see. And now the perspective that we have on it and how things have changed and how they have not and the change we've been able to create as a result and the change that we have not. And now this massive problem that we're facing with regards to plastic and recycling and the multiplicity of solutions, but also the solutions that aren't quite the degree of solutions that we think that they are. There is just so many lies that have fueled this ridiculous cycle and problem that we're facing. And it's so interesting to dig through the layers and uncover while also coming to an understanding of why each thing evolved the way that it did. So anyway, that was one of my favorite things to learn about. And I don't dive too much into that in the book, but it is something that I talk about. And I also think the other thing for me that I wouldn't characterize it as fun, but that was the most meaningful were those areas and topics where I was able to dive more into the human component of what is the impact of this on humans, on people now and in the future, and what can we do about it? And one of the most surprising things was how much I realized I care about animals and how Really, my entire drive for sustainability was fueled by a story in How to Live Without Plastic about this turtle and this turtle that was rescued and it had a plastic straw stuck up its nose. And the image that they talked about of having to pull that straw out of the nose of this like poor defenseless little sea turtle. And that just broke my heart. And then diving into research with regard to clothing and makeup and food and shopping and just general consumption and the way that those different areas harm animals is also just so heartbreaking. So I have seen things that I cannot unsee and read things and learn things that I will never unknow. But to me, that was important because it's what got me to the point where I am now and is going to only continue to drive my action into the future. 
That's so meaningful. So I know not all of the things you tried you loved. Like you didn't like taking Navy showers. That was not a part of second to your routine. What is something or a couple things that are changes that you made or products that you got that you really enjoyed and have stuck with you? So there is a certain amount of like learning curve. There are things I tried didn't love. And so they weren't going to be sustainable for me in the long term. So they had to go away. I talk about that in the book too. But some of the things that I have loved the most and really leaned into is like composting. I have a countertop composter, which I love. And that's one of those things that makes me feel like I'm really making a difference because whenever I cook or when I have paper towels, which I don't use very often, but when I do, they can go in there and it's just quick and easy. And I press the button and I have compost that comes out the other end that I can put in my plants or put outside. And it's just a way that reminds me what it's all about, but it doesn't once again, add too much to my routine. It's just that instead of putting it in trash can, this food waste, I can put it in the composter. But then again, we can see like the spiral of my composter, since it's a countertop composter, like it requires electricity to run. So is that worth the environmental benefit that we're gaining of this food, not going to landfill and creating more emissions and all that. So that's an example of where this debate and your research can continue. I decided this is what I want to do for me. I'm not going to just continue to throw food and other biodegradable waste into the trash can to go drive three hours to where all of our trash from my county ends up. That's ridiculous. It's going to go in my composter. So that's a change that allows me to, on a regular basis, feel like I'm making a real difference. And that composter is an example of some of those products that people have made that are really nice. Like a lot of really nice quality products are being made that are sustainable and help you with sustainability. I remember being over to your house and seeing it on your counter. It's really beautiful. I wouldn't think composter. And I know that brand in particular makes things also, they make biodegradable sunglasses and phone cases and Apple watch bands and AirPod cases. So there's also always that sustainable option or solution that you can switch to. Another great example is blue light glasses, which is totally something you could do without since I spend so much of my work time staring at a screen. It's something that I chose to invest in. And I had bought over the years, a couple of pairs from Amazon. They all broke pretty quickly within six months. And ever since I wrote this book, when my last pair broke and I decided to invest in a sustainable solution from a brand that goes so far out of their way to invest in people and the planet. One of the best businesses I feel like I've ever made supporting a company like that. And those glasses, I still use them every day to this day. And they are still in impeccable shape, haven't broken. It's amazing to me to have inspirations like that. And every time I use them, I can feel so glad that I supported a company that aligns with my values instead of just some random corporate reseller on Amazon. So I love products like that, that are constantly like pointing me back to my values, especially when I understand like what the alternatives are and the impact that those have on the planet too. So those are a couple things. And then habit wise, I guess it also comes back to something similar. The changes that I make on a regular basis, like when I'm out grocery shopping or product shopping or just like restocking supplies that I need. I think when I reach two steps over and grab a different toothpaste instead of the one that I grew up using, it's nice to be reminded in that way of the changes that have stuck and emerged and that are continually pointing me back to my sustainability project and reminding me not only that this matters, but that this matters to me and on an even larger scale that it matters within the context of the planet and future generations and everything else. Mm -hmm. And making those little decisions can bring you so much joy. Like you said, every time you use those glasses now, it brings you an extra spark of joy and it helps out your poor eyes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah. 
So in the book, people can see all sorts of examples of the things that you've used, the different products you've tried. I know you list them as you go. So you really help a lot of people begin that research process to be able to find those quality and enjoyable products. And right. Decisions. Yeah, it's certainly not comprehensive and more stuff is emerging all the time, which is amazing. And I know there's a few times when I'm like, there's a gap in the market here. So hopefully all of those gaps will be filled before too long. But yeah, that's another reason. Like I was so overwhelmed. No one had written about their personal journey in this way before. And particularly not in a way that they were like, and this is what you need as the answer to this problem that I know you're facing because you agree that this is a big problem in the world. So I was super happy to be able to come in, hopefully close that gap, at least someone, or give you a starting point to be like, oh, this is a potential solution to this problem. I will go look into other brands like that. And that's not to say that the answer is always to buy more things, because I also talk about that in the book. The answer is to buy better things and things that align with your values, because you are going to buy things in your life. And whether that be now, because you have never used Ziploc bags or you have run out of Ziploc bags and now you're ready to use a silicone alternative, or if it's going to be six months from now, once all of your Ziploc bags that you rewash and reuse to be sustainable, have holes in them and are no longer usable. And then you choose to go invest in something that's a differential alternative, whichever it is, there are options and solutions, whether you invest in now or later that are better for you and for the planet. But that doesn't mean that the solution is simply to go out and to buy more, to spend more money, indulge in consumerism, especially needlessly. Like water bottles is something that I talk about in the book. Because while it would be super nice to go buy a water bottle that is hot and cold and that you can throw in your backpack or take on trips or whatever, chances are you already have one and you don't need a new one to go live sustainably in this way. Or you have other cups that can serve the purpose. So the answer is not buying more, but when you do, buy better. Because the whole point is to be sustainable and be able to incorporate it into your life. Yep. Less but better. I've so enjoyed talking to you about your book more today. I'm going to hand it back over to you and you can tell everyone where they can get it when it's going to come out. Yes. So the book will be out in just a few days, December 15th, Thursday. The Sustainability Project, My Journey from Toxic and Throwaway to Clean and Green, available wherever you like to buy books. If you want easy, you can just get it on Amazon. Other retailers might take a little bit longer to get it. But if you want it in your hands as quickly as possible, it will be available on ebook as well. So you can always dive in right away that way. I am super excited to get this out into the hands of people, whether digitally or in a physical form. And excitingly, next year, the audiobook will be coming out as well. So if you want to hear about my journey in my voice, <laughs> like an extension of the podcast and everything we talked about today, stay tuned. I would encourage you to dive in now. You can listen to the audiobook later, but that is totally up to you. So yes, check out the book wherever you like to buy books. And I am super excited to get it into your hands so that you can go on your own sustainability journey, whatever that may look like, whether you undertake it in a quote unquote project format or not. I just am so excited for people to learn more about this topic and figure out how and in what ways it aligns with their values so that they can go from there. And so this week's resolve too is to go and buy the book, check it out, go read it, enjoy it, and then go live your sustainable life. So once again, Heidi, I want to thank you for coming onto the podcast to talk about this topic with me, all of these topics with me today for reading my book, all of that. It's been such a journey and I'm so glad that you have been along for the ride. 
It's been such a joy getting to watch you go through this process. I'm so proud of you. And I cannot wait to be able to get my hands on the physical copy of the book. Thank you. Yes. And so I do want to toast today the book coming out. I also want to give like another toast to you and I both finishing school, which we talked about on the podcast last week, episode 64, when we gave our final goal update. It was coming. And so now as we are recording, releasing this episode, we are done. So toasting that, toasting this book that is going to be in the hands of readers, other than you very soon. And so, yes, Heidi, thank you once again. It's so fun to have you on the podcast. So go read The Sustainability Project. Learn about my journey, everything that I went through, the things I stuck with, the things that I didn't. Learn more about the topic as you desire. And then I hope that you will be encouraged and inspired to take similar action, whatever that may look like for you in a sustainable manner as well. So go check out the book in just a few days. And with that, thanks for tuning into the Resolve Podcast. You can follow me on Instagram at Carly Tizano. I would love to connect with you. Don't forget to rate and review. It really helps other people find the show. And subscribe if you haven't already so that you don't miss another great episode next week. For the show notes or additional support in reaching your goals, check out carlydesano.com. Until next time, here's to all that lies ahead.